It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Childcare Barn Girl Podcast, the longest running and most prolific early learning podcast with the words bar and grill in the title. I'm Jeff Johnson coming to you from upstairs studio in the snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico. Coming, come, we're, we're not exactly sure where she is in the in the state of Pennsylvania. We got uh, Stephanie Galloway back with us. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. And actually, I'm in New York. <laughs> oh, no, New York. I thought it was PA. Okay. No, I, um, no, I, you're I, in I, NA. I, and why? And why? Yeah, no, a lot of people get it confused. I'm right over the border, but it's Lake Erie. Everybody thinks is Pennsylvania because Erie is in Pennsylvania, but it's actually, I live in uh, the state of New York for the first time in my life. I used to live in Pennsylvania. And Tamar and, and, and um, um, uh, Carol are in Pennsylvania. So that's probably why I was confused. So uh, um, I got a question for you. We're getting, Hey listeners, we're going to get into resilience in a little bit, but we got to talk about something much more uh, top of mind for me right now. So Stephanie, I was, I was cracking eggs the other day. Um, I was preparing them as food, not just randomly cracking eggs, but uh, <laughs> on, on about egg four, I got to thinking, well, this is kind of boring and i was wondering you know what if just randomly and not very often but when you cracked an egg there was something really unique and exciting in it so so say you crack an egg and just hundreds and hundreds of little spiders comes pouring out of it or you crack an egg and and there's a an ancient roman gold coin uh, in there, or or you you crack an egg and it's just audio of of Elvis singing blue suede shoes, um, you know, just just that kind of thing to break things up because the you know the the yellow yolk and the gooey translucent stuff it's kind of boring after a while. So so would you like to live in a world with uh with more random egg excitement? Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when I think of, of uh, what one of the things that goes wrong-ish in a lot of our classrooms is that we, we don't allow for those random egg-breaking excitements. Kids get so bored, you know, like I, 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 I think that, that we all need that. It, it wakes up our brains to see something different and, and to stimulate our imaginations and to, to just make us pay attention so uh, is there I, uh, it, it, would, would you i mean your bacon your bacon cookies you're making an omelet and you crack an egg open and uh, like a baby mouse scurries out and runs <laughs> up your arm uh would, would you would you want that negative stuff or would you want just good stuff or what would be your preference i mean honestly i think if, if you think about it i mean 
I mean, I always like good stuff, but I think that we learn just as much from disequilibrium, from surprises, whether they're good or bad. Sure. And I, I'm all about learning. And um, you know what? Um, uh, <laughs> sure, I've had mice run up my arms without breaking them out of when I'm cooking, <laughs> without cracking an egg. And so I would, I would probably say unkind words to the mouse and sure. like, take them yeah. off. Interesting. Um, what would yeah. you like? Well, I, I I would prefer just the good stuff. Like you crack an egg and just hundreds of little butterflies or like one giant butterfly comes out or or stuff like that. But I think I would I would take the the more negative stuff, like the mouse or the spiders, just because it would make the good stuff um uh seem seem better. It's it's kind of uh the sweet and savory side of side of things. And so I'd yeah. I I tolerate the spiders and mice for the gold corn coins and butterflies, I think. Yeah, okay. I, I I agree, and I and I yeah. think you know, like looking for I I'm, I tend to be a pretty op positive person, and I always look for the good and in, in in everything, and that gives us another opportunity to to think about, huh? Well, yeah, yeah. and I, I think this would be I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 it'd be an opportunity to live life more fully without having to do much. And I, I'm thinking it wouldn't be like one surprise egg per dozen. I think it would be oh, like no. one surprise lay egg per, I mean, you probably have to go through hundreds and hundreds of eggs before you'd get a surprise one. And and some people might never see the surprise ones. And, and then you might have a dozen eggs and and, and you've got four, four surprise yeah. eggs in a row. Um, and really, I'm, I'm not sure of the technology to make this happen. Um, so I'm just going to throw the idea out there to the world. And if we've, we've got any listeners that want to pick it up and run with it, I'm just going to, going to ask for my standard three and a half percent of, uh, whatever <laughs> profits you make on the idea, um, of the, the surprise mystery, mystery egg. So, uh, so, uh, hopefully somebody will run with that in their, in their spare time on their side hustle. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> the hell is this show um <laughs> so listeners this is this is episode 997 of the child care bar and girl uh podcast and what stephanie stephanie was on a couple weeks ago uh we talked uh about a bunch of stuff but mostly resilience and we thought afterwards that it might be fun back to come have stephanie back and do a series where we're talking about just practical um real world ways to support the the development of resilience in a play-based environment. Um, so Stephanie, you want to give listeners a little bit of a recap about what we talked about last time? And then I think this time we're going to talk about resilience in fantasy, imaginative, dramatic type play. And we'll just go, go from there. Yeah. Um, so last time we were talking about what I think is the magic beans that we all need to be thinking about in whatever way we work with, with children or adults, really, which is resilience. Um, we all need resilience. We talked about the there's a lot of research about it. It's not just this fun word that everybody and their brother now is talking about since the pandemic. It's actually um, research based. It's brain based. And there are specific kinds of experiences that they found that when uh, kids have them and or adults have them, um, they tend to develop the brain in ways that we can respond more 
um, resiliently to whenever we have any kind of challenges. Like for example, when your spiders are running all yeah. over your, yeah, your yeah, exactly. omelet because you, you, you bought some Jeff eggs. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, that, that is a time where you would, you would want a little bit of uh, resilience in your, in your, in your wired into your brain when, when right. spiders start climbing up your arm and into your cookie dough. Oh man, it would be it, a man. It, it, oh, that would mess up the chocolate chip cookies so much. I, I would eat them. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, the the spiders they're tiny. They would probably just bake right off. And probably at, at worst, it's a little more protein. Yeah. Um. So we talked about resilience, and um, we talked a little bit about how um, fairy tales uh, can be a way for children to just do our stories about resilience because every fairy tale has uh, the heroes coming overcoming some kind of adversity whether it's a dragon or a witch or just getting lost in the woods um, and how um, I personally believe that they're a wonderful way to help children um, understand resilience and for people who work with kids whether they're teachers or parents to um, build on experiences that that nurture kids' resilience. So that's a, oh, the protective factors are dun, 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 um, relationships, which we know is all about what, uh, I mean, everything's about relationships. So is resilience. Initiative, self-regulation, executive functions, and cultural affirmation. Um, so we've got all these these factors that all of the smart people at Harvard and University of Minnesota and all over the place are saying, yeah, 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 the kids need all of these experiences to develop resilience. And the great thing is that if we do early childhood right, if it's play-based, if it's child-centered, if it's done by people who care and love, love children and are willing to take a few risks, um, we can build resilience into what we're already doing. So All right, so so Stephanie, you're 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 a you're a preschool teacher. You've just been promoted from uh, from from classroom assistant to lead teacher in the classroom. You got a room of of three and four year olds. You're trying. You're thinking, hey, how do I how do I build the opportunities to build resilience into my dramatic play area, my fantasy play area? Um, how how would we how would you go about that? Um, the first thing I would do is to look at my classroom schedule and probably rip it up. <laughs> um, depending on who the lead teacher was before, um, because one of the things that we know about um, children's play of all kinds, but um, specifically there's tons of research on children's um, make-believe play or fantasy play, is that it requires time, big mm -hmm. blocks of time. So if my preceding teacher, uh, let kids play in centers for 15 minutes and then the bell rang and they had to go someplace else. Um, that goes against everything that would build resilience in a, a pretend play area. Um, the second thing I would do is make sure that I had tons of uh, open-ended materials. Um, mm -hmm. I would probably throw out the plastic food mm -hmm. personally yeah, yeah. The, the 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 plastic broccoli with the uh the teeth marks in it can yeah. i mean it can only be used in so many ways because <laughs> most kids don't have the uh they, they they just they're not experienced enough as players to turn a hunk of plastic bro broccoli into much more than a hunk of plastic 
broccoli. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to transform that transfer that broccoli into Batman, for example. <laughs> right. So so um, all of my um, my dramatic play area always would have lots of materials close by um, paper and tape. A lot of tape, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of tape, um, and scissors and crayons and um, loose parts. Um, I would probably go to your website and um, find the first ten loose parts that sounded totally randomly weird, and and make sure that they were in my um, dramatic play area. Um, I might take away. Uh, well, I would take away all kind of ha- Halloweeny costumes that had again one per- specific purpose that mm-hmm. they could serve, and put in swaths of fabric and things that were uh, ena- enabled children to be a little bit more open ended and and match what it was that they were thinking about. So those are some of the first things I do. But time. Would what be about in. what's your what's your take on the uh, the plywood kitchen set, the the sink and the stove and and the refrigerator? As because in in a lot of programs, those things are kind of the anchor of of that play area. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything. I, I've seen kids do pretty creative things with those. Mm-hmm. Um. In my experience, I mean, I, I guess first of all, I. When I think of 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 imaginative play, um, I I think about it going on everywhere in the classroom. Sure. I mean, it goes on and and outside. I mm-hmm. mean, I guess that's that's the place that I think it 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 really can expand because they, the stories get can get huge outside and you can build jails. I mean, every yeah. every childhood program yeah. needs a jail. You got <laughs> to have, have some sort of prison or something. A prison jail, you know those. Um, so. Um, but I think that that the you know the furniture if it 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 can be used in different ways kids can use it in different ways um, I don't think it's necessary for a dramatic play area but I think that depending on the age of the kids um, I mean we know that two and three year olds um, their scenarios tend to focus around family and yeah. so. That's, I mean, that's that. Those are the stories they tell. That's kind of what bubbles up. So some kind of familiarity may scaffold it. it I guess it would really depend on the kids. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I could take it or leave it. I'd mostly, I'd mostly get rid of it because, um, well, kids do focus on family. I don't think the the kitchen is the center of the family like <laughs> it may have been a generation or two ago with, uh, with families grabbing fast food on the way home and that kind of stuff. And and so, getting rid of that plastic food is one way to make those those pieces of equipment a little bit more flexible. Um, and, and another thing I've, I've seen programs do is, is just paint them, uh, so that they don't look a, a lot of them. They've got the, the plywood ones. They've got the, the painted on ice, ice maker or those kind of things in them. Um, because they, when they, when they, when you lose some of, some of the knobs, that kind of stuff, it's easier to turn the, the play refrigerator into a time machine or an x-ray machine or, or something. Um, it, it makes it more of a blank slate, like an empty cardboard box, but I would, yeah. I would replace all that stuff with empty cardboard boxes if, yeah. if I had the choice, but if you're in a program and you, 
Look, if you just take over, took over as a lead teacher in that room because the former lead teacher was made director and she spent uh, six months trying to raise uh, uh, grant money and and collect funds to buy the new kitchen set, you can't you can't trash it your first week. So you, you sometimes you're stuck living with that stuff. So um, I, I would just do anything I could to make it make it more flexible. But yeah, all the loose parts, I think, are great. Um, and the, the time thing is huge because there's, there's that, that whole, when they don't have the time, they don't get to go through the planning and preparing stages of, of that play. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of pre-play work that goes on. And that's really where, where all the resilience or much of the resilience building happens when you're, you're negotiating who's going to be mom or who's going to be the scientist or who's going to be the cat and what the scenario is. Um, those, those, the, the social interactions there are really when a lot of that, that learning is happening. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, I mean, you can just watch kids if, if um, there, I mean, there is a bunch of research out there that says that 45 minutes is what it takes to develop a really good play scenario for kids that are like in the older end of that. Um, and, you know, like, who knows, like, but I've, I've seen kids play the same things for like weeks on end. Sure. Every, yeah. Every, you know, the story, the story goes on, doesn't matter if you're like doing snack or if you're telling a story or if they're putting on their their um, boots to go outside they are they are cats yeah they, they stay they stay in character they, they and, stay in character and and the 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 play theme will evolve over time and they'll they'll maybe have to pause the play and build some new props and and reorganize the play area and 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 all of that but when when given the opportunity uh, kids that especially the ones that are experienced players can can keep those scenarios going for long long times Yes. And I, and I think kids who aren't experienced players, um, I mean, I think that's that's where the, the rub sometimes comes in with teachers because they have kids who have never been given the opportunity sure. to imagine and to play. And and obviously, the younger the child, the more likely that is. But you'll have even four and five year olds that, that like really haven't ever done pretend play because yes. they're sitting in front of a TV or or they're they're in um, t- adult directed activities. And teachers, I think, I mean, it, it's hard to get that play thing going uh, in a very short period of time. And teachers are get frustrated because kids, that negotiation that happens, which I agree. I mean, that that to me is why one of the, the richest things that comes out of children's pretend play is that relationships, peer relationships um, and, and conflict resolution and, and learning that other, not that everybody wants to be the princess. Guess what? They do. And then, then you know what, like sometimes you got to do something you don't want to do. Um, that takes, that takes time, especially yeah. for, for kids that, that haven't had experience with that. And, 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 and it results in arguments and fights. And sure. I, I would totally like to be the princess because, because listeners, you might not know this about me. I look damn good in a tiara. I mean, <laughs> I, I can rock a tiara. Um <laughs> So, so we've set up the space. We've got, we've, we've given kids uh big blocks of time. We got rid of the plastic broccoli. We've, we've added all kinds of loose parts and supporting materials like tape and scissors and cardboard. Um, how, how do you as a caregiver, um, as, as kids go into that place, that space to play, how do you go about supporting the, the honing of resilience? Well, I think the first thing I have always tried to do is back 
out. <laughs> Stay away, which is really hard sometimes because I love pretend play. And that was sure. one of the biggest areas I of problem that I had as a, a beginning teacher was like wanting to get involved. And kids sometimes like it when, when there's an adult player, but I and then try to like I, I mean, I have good ideas. I have really good ideas. And I watched play go from rich and interesting. And then I insert an idea and it's like a bubble pops mm -hmm. and it's over. And they're like, hey, you want to go to the blocks now? Like, <laughs> there's no fun anymore. And I think that that comes from this idea that um, as related to resilience, that Pretend play is one area that where children have complete agency and initiative. Like that's one of the protective factors. I mean, adults, no matter how creative and imaginative they are, are never going to come up with the kinds of scenarios and characters and interactions and problems that children are going to come up with when they're allowed to create that play by themselves. And I think that that initiative piece is uh, cannot be understated. Um, I mean, it is theirs. That's the definition of play. It's it's self-directed. It's all of those wonderful child-centered things. And when we back out away and observe and keep our mouths shut, um, good stuff often happens. Um, and the best stuff, I think, happens. So yeah, that's, and that, that's a that's a hard skill to at least for me, it was a hard skill to learn because, look, I'm delightful. And I mean, who wouldn't <laughs> want me involved in their in their fantasy play? Um, and and but like like me, I, I would I would find myself imposing myself on the play sometimes and trying to throw out ideas because I think I'm, I think I'm, I think, look, I think I've got all the best ideas in the world. Um, and, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like you, I would, I would, I would notice that the, 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 I, I would be taking things over. And so pulling back and becoming an observer and facilitator instead of an active participant was, was a, was a struggle for me. Um, and, and I still have to have to physically restrain myself sometimes from, from getting in, involved when, when I shouldn't, because um, look, the, the themes that they come up with are, are drawn from their own experiences. And that's much more important than anything I think is cute or creative or fun or exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think the other piece of that is like, if you really provide those open-ended materials um, for kids to use, and if they need props, I mean, the younger the child, the more likely it is that they're going to need some kind of prop. Older kids, you know, like they can, they can just imagine the, the, the shot needle and the, um, the frying pan and the, sure. uh, you know, whatever. Um, but being able to listen carefully enough to kind of anticipate what kinds of materials they might be leaning towards and then providing them without saying anything, which for me is really difficult because I, 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 like you, I have the best ideas and I really can, <laughs> can imagine all kinds of things, but being able to just kind of put materials that even if I don't do it that day, make sure that the materials are available um, is a way of facilitating it. Um, stepping in, if there's a, a depending again depending hopefully you're knowing your kids well enough to know how equipped they are with conflict resolution 
and sure. expressing that, you know, that, like sometimes kids need the words to know how to say, uh, no, you, you, there is no cat in this story. You cannot be a cat done yeah. um, at, without causing a lot of conflict. So keeping away as far as possible, but then if things are going to explode, offering suggestions for words can sometimes help. Um, yeah, yeah. Of- the the way I, I look at it is 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 we should impose ourselves in those situations as 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 much as necessary, but as little as possible. And that's uh and finding out where that line is, um, is I mean it takes practice. Um, and and like you say, the the stronger your relationships are with the kids, and and the more time you've spent doing doing observation and watching those groups of children play together, the easier it is, I think, to to find find that line when they're going to, or they're going to need you. Right. And I, I think that really gets into the, the whole self-regulation piece, which is, um, you can't, that, that's the goal. And I mean, even like old dead white guy Vygotsky talked about self-regulation and pretend play a great deal and found that that was one of the biggest benefits of, in his mind of, of, of make-believe play because kids will do almost anything, regulate themselves to extreme measures in order to keep the play going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, we we need to value that, obviously. I mean, it, it, we don't have to teach them self-regulation when they're playing it. You know, you get a kid who is told to lay still on the playground because you've got a broken leg and you have to wait till the doctor comes. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. kids can yeah. be there for because, hours. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Ask the same kid to sit still in a circle time. You got maybe 37 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, um, but, but unknowing, like being able to sense when that, that when the self-regulation is going to go off the rails um, and, and there is going to be, somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to, things are going to explode is sometimes, uh, I mean, again, it takes a lot of practice but being able to do that kind of work with children to help them express their feelings and give good feedback and all that kind of stuff outside of the pretend play area time, I think helps with that. And then, yeah. And, and just knowing, just knowing that, uh, that three and a half year old Diego um, was up late last night because dad worked a late shift and he wanted to stay up to say good night to dad, to dad. Um, and he's probably tired this morning, just knowing that this type, this kid is probably going to be getting tired earlier than the day than usual. And that might have affected his his ability to to um negotiate those those scenarios in in the play is just having that awareness for yourself is is a is um valuable information for knowing when to step in so the the more you know about what kids are dealing with uh the easier it is to 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 know when to to impose on it so you you talked we talked about letting kids pick their own theme um does that mean all all play themes are relevant and allowed or is there places where you would draw the line or? I mean, I guess it would depend on if, uh, what kind of a program I was in. Would I personally, I mean, I, I had a hard time with weapon play, um, when I was first teaching, um, because of my values. Um, and kept all weapons out of my house when I had a son. And I got shot in the head with a tampon when he was two years old. 
Um, yeah, I bet that's a that's a fun story to bring up at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm not telling him that I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> um, but but that was such an aha moment to me mm-hmm. that even though we had never had any play guns, even though you know I was again you know a little piece nick against all weapons and everything, um, somehow from the ether did we didn't watch much TV. Somehow from the ether he created this out of his imagination. And um, so it made me, but a lot of programs have no weapon play. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's a, that's something I think it's hard to negotiate. Um, I also had a, I had a, um, a, a colleague that um, discovered that her kids were um, shooting up in the, in the dramatic play area. Sure. And, um, because they had seen it at home and instantly all of the materials that they, that they could possibly use as, as needles, as, you know, that had to be removed. And when I heard the story, I thought, I mean, all right, so that's your discomfort with that play theme. Yeah. And there are ways that that we need to use that information to support kids who are going through that in their house. Um, I had another a kindergarten teacher I worked with came into my classroom horrified, and she was one of the kindergarten teachers in a public school that actually kept dramatic play there, um, like like I did, and so she knew she could talk to me. And the kids had popped all the heads off of all the little tiny baby dolls that she had, and they were cooking them in the frying pan and again she was like oh my gosh this is horrible like this is cannibalism and i i was like it kind of looks like meatballs to me with eyes <laughs> i don't know um so that would have been a case that i definitely but she took i mean she she took the baby dolls out of the dramatic play area and stopped having using doing dramatic play for a while and to me, it's, it's, you know, is it our discomfort with some of these themes? What are kids telling us? I mean, they, for them, they don't have the value system or they don't have the values imposed on them that this is good and this is bad. For them, play is play. Mm-hmm. All of the world is the stuff that they need, want to imagine and will incorporate into their play. So kind of a long answer, but I guess um, I think, situationally their their teachers you know i can sit here in my nice little house and say i would let all of that happen um in in my classroom um and in some of my classrooms i would have but in others i would have felt that i would need to um intervene more and and not maybe not allow it or yeah or channel it in a different direction yeah there there's there's again there's a there's a line to find there too because I think I think for caregivers look if there's a type of play going on and your head is going to explode um because I mean for whatever it triggers you in some way it annoys you you're just tired um uh, shutting it down for your own sanity I can totally see that happen because caregivers don't take well good enough care of themselves and and we want you coming back to work tomorrow 
Right. Um, on, on the other hand, so many of those scenarios and, and look, if you spend any time working with kids, you be especially on Monday mornings when kids come in and start recreating things that happened at home over the weekend, um, you end up knowing lots about the reality of, of their fam their home lives, uh, the shooting up or the police coming and, and those kind of things. Those are, those are just things that get brought into the, the play areas. I, I would, and look, I could stand here in upstairs studio and I would say, do everything you can to support those things to, to the, your level of being able to tolerate it and support it. Because, um, that, that in my mind is something that at least one of those kids needs to work through. And, and this kind of play is, I mean, play therapy is a thing for a reason, um, and, and kids are often putting themselves through, through micro doses of play therapy and their, and their dramatic play. And, and I think being able to, to work through things they've seen kind of, kind of does help build that resilience. Um, mm -hmm. doesn't it, or am I off base? Oh, I don't know. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, play is the language of one of the primary languages that children have to express what they've seen what they've heard what they feel and it's the way that they they share that and i think that you know the the more we snuff those uncomfortable play themes out um there are plenty of times that that may be appropriate but the more we do that the message to the child is you know you talk about your your relationships go, go through the protective my relationships okay um i love you but I care for you, but not as much when you do that kind of play, mm -hmm. um, your initiative, you have great ideas, except when you put the baby doll's heads in the frying yeah, pan. Except, you have great ideas, except for that one. Except for that one. That was a bad one. I mean, if you talk about like executive function, which has a lot to do with like coming up with cognitive you know, possibilities of, of how to use different items in different ways is, is like a piece of that. You know, like, yeah, it's fine if those baby dolls are, you know, we, you want to put them in a toy shop or turn them into dogs, but don't put them in, make them into meatballs. I mean, yeah. like we, we give so many messages to children by snuffing their ideas out that, that do undermine, I believe, their resilience. Plus what happened in your home is not okay. And I think that's that's such a such a challenging thing for us as as early childhood because the primary relationship, whether it's fabulous and magical and sparkly, or it's one that you know we would would gasp at if we saw it playing mm. out live um i mean children love their parents and parents love their children and yeah. and anything we do to undermine that is um i mean that's it's another message that children take that i i believe really undermines their resilience yes yeah and i haven't seen any any research on this but i i'm guessing that most children who take the heads off the dolls and fry them up in the frying pan aren't going to actually grow up to be cannibals. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think it's along the lines of most kids that engage in, in some sorts of weapons play aren't going to grow up and, and be mass murderers. Um, most people who put the, uh, the baby doll in the, in the pretend oven aren't going to grow up and put their real baby in the oven. Most kids who, who walk around dragging a baby doll by the ankle and its heads bouncing along the floor <laughs> aren't going to do that to real babies because, because fantasy imaginative play is, is separate from reality. 
reality. And these are children. Um, and so there's there's no no uh, causal relationships to the way they behave in their play and the way they're going to behave as adults that I've been able to find. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you, I mean, I think it's kind of the whole thing of like, I mean, everything like I'd love um, on your website that like pretty much everything's a loose part and for children's play. Sure. And so they'll, they will use it things in ways that, that we haven't imagined, which is the whole point of their play and the representational development. And like, I mean, you know, maybe they're all going to be like brilliant readers and writers because they pop those baby yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we used to, I mean, the Barbie heads would be taken off in our place and kids would use them with the catapult and the slingshots as, as <laughs> ammunition. And I, you know, I don't keep close track on, on the kids that used to be in my program, but as far as I know, none of them have grown up to decapitate anybody. I mean, um, if, if I, I think, I, I think I'd hear about it if, yeah. uh, if it, if it had happened. Um, so what else is, as far as resilience, should we be doing to, to be supportive in, in this fantasy play area? Um, I think the, um, like recognizing that, um, recognizing its, its, its value. I mean, putting it at the, hearing it, listening to it, observing it in all of our centers, recognizing that, I mean, I've seen, you know, that that's, that's important to do. Um, I think that um, we talked a little bit about taking it outside. I think, Part one of the things, one of my pet peeves of of is that recess is not considered time that that teachers need to be or caregivers need to be paying attention. It's time to chat. It's and yet it's to me, it's one of the richest times to observe children's pretend play. Yeah. And to listen to their themes and to, you know, to see, you know, like what, 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 what's, what's bubbling out and how are they relating to each other? And what, what can I do? What can I learn from kids as they are, as I'm listening to their play that will help me to support them in their resilience through everything I do with them and every interaction I have with them. I mean, I think it's play, pretend play, all play, but pretend play in particular is one of those, those gold mines of, of things. And if we let kids play outside, the, the stories get bigger, they get longer, they get more complex often, um, they incorporate movement they incorporate often larger groups of children mm -hmm. and and really not going outside on the playground and um, either standing back and like talking about what you're going to do over the weekend um, and so not observing or making sure that kids have structured activities to do outside like okay now it's bike day or it's let's, let's play you know everybody's line up and like we're going to play t-ball or whatever um, those kinds of things can undermine children's ability to take those play themes and put them outside. And I, I think I think often that outside play is in in a lot of programs is just looked at as big body time, and mm -hmm. um, one of the things programs could do is provide more of the materials we talked about for the inside as outside stuff because you know baby dolls can can go outside. Uh, cardboard and tape and scissors can can go outside. Dress up clothes can go outside. Um, okay. Loose parts can be outside. And and just having those materials available allows kids um, 
I mean, you don't have to say, hey, go have fantasy play, um, because when they have the materials and the time and the space, they're they're wired for that kind of play. And and it's going to it's going to happen. So just just opening up, uh, opening up the the availability of the materials is a, is a step in the right direction. I, I do some some play space critiques on the Play Evolution HQ site. And and I've been looking at pictures. I've I've look, I'm always looking for pictures, but of, of outdoor play spaces. And so many of them are. Are, are barren wastelands when it comes to things to 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 use for fantasy play. There's no sticks. There's no loose parts. There's no there's no buckets. There's no backpacks. There backs. There's no tarps or sheets or blankets or those kind of things. There's no rope. Um, and so it's really hard to to build those fantasy worlds if you don't have at least a, a minimal supply of materials for it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I mean you were talking about cardboard boxes. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I think I think thinking about our outside play spaces as just as a, as an extension, or really our inside play spaces as an extension of our outside play spaces, yeah, um, is, it really encourages children to use their imaginations and to to come up with their wonderful ideas. I mean, that you know, like to me, yes, that is part of resilience because it's part of initiative and blah blah blah. But we want kids to come up with wonderful ideas as much as they can and share them with other people and make them happen with the help of their friends and the adults around them. And, and if we're doing that, then we're certainly nurturing resilience. And we're also, you know, like doing what they need to do to be successful thinkers and learners and all of that great stuff. And I think um, seeing, seeing that plus outside, I mean, you have more sand and you can have more water and you can have all of those rich sensory yeah. materials that that children can incorporate into their play more easily into their pretend play than you can if you're just in the house corner or whatever yeah and if you if you have limited in space limited space and time inside um expanding it to the outside play area but also um small world play um i think is a form of fantasy imaginative play and mm -hmm. and that can that can take place in the block area or at an activity table or wherever too and so there's there's lots of ways to make more of this fantasy play available what i was wondering stephanie is when we when we are st physically stepping back and kind of taking ourselves out of the play it's a good time to to devote some time and attention to to observation so if you're if you're looking at kids engaged in fantasy, imaginative, dramatic play, um, whatever we're calling it, um, and you're looking at it with an eye, with with a lens on supporting resilience, what kind of things are you looking for? Um, I think the the first thing I would probably be paying attention to that because it's such a big factor of resilience, but it's also the factor that will help your your um, play go more smoothly is self-regulation. I mean, that's, you know, that like, what, what, what do kids need in order to continue to self-regulate in, in that, um, in an environment where they do have so much more control. And I think like picking up on, on cues that children are, are offering and then using that in other times is, is one, one big thing. Um, I mean, what's the most fun thing? I mean, the relationships, like, do they, do they know how to get along? Do they know how to ask to, to even enter fantasy play? Mm -hmm. Are, you know, like, do they need help with those kinds of things? Or is it, is, are they, uh, are they excluding other children? And that's a big, you know, it's a big issue. You know, like, you, you know, do you have to include everybody who wants to play, um, you know, pet shop? 
or can you can you be the pet shop owner and say get the heck out of here you we only we don't we don't have snakes in this pet shop um those those kind you know and what does that mean is it a child's great idea or are they just like tr just trying to push away other children and which kids and why um i i and 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 the the richness of their ideas i think is you know so much a part of resilience i mean if we don't see other possibilities besides the spiders that have just broken out of that egg that you mentioned and are crawling up our arm and are totally screwing up our entire omelet or batch of cookie dough and we're fixated on those darn spiders crawling around, then we're not being resilient. We're not gonna bounce back and figure out a way to have cookies tonight. We're gonna get stuck. And I think that, um, when we offer children these opportunities to come up with their own scenarios, their own characters, their own ideas of how to make a pizza out of the baby doll bodies that, that have been left without the heads, um, we are, um, you know, if we pay attention to those kinds of things, then we're, we're giving children the opportunity to, to have agency, to, to take initiative, to see themselves as thinkers and learners. And that, that brings about a lot of resilience. And how can we then dovetail that? Or if kids who don't ever have a new idea, what kinds of things can we do either in the, um, their play or in other part times of our classroom, you know, like here's a child that never comes up with a play scenario. They're always like the the following along. Ask them what they want to have for snack that next day. Maybe they just need a little tiny baby scaffolding to to come up with a new idea. Well, well yeah, because there there are there are kids out there who who never who don't realize that they can have opinions and, and make choices. They, they, they've always had those things done for them. And I mean, you can't start doing something you've never been exposed to. And so, right. you know, giving them that opportunity to, to make a choice or have an opinion or be the decider um, is, is a great way to start them down that road. And, and some kids, it, it might take more than one opportunity for them to, to, to jump on board. And, and then other kids, because of, of temperament and the fact that we are, we're, there's seven plus billion of us on the planet right now, and we are all, all different. Um, some kids, some, some humans just shy away from that. And, and that's okay too. Right. Um, not not everybody needs to be not everybody needs to be the leader in the play. Um, some some kids are are happy to to follow along and and play to other other people's themes and 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 so I think pushing those kids into into being more more engaged and and more of the decider is is kind of not doing them a service because that's kind of pushing them to be somebody who they're not. Or, mm -hmm. or do we want them to build resilience and we should push them? I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, like you mentioned temperament. I mean, that's such a huge thing in addition to children's experiences. Um, I do, I do think that you don't have to be a leader, but I think all of us are faced with decisions and, and need sure. to see that we have choice. And I guess that that's kind of where I was going with that yeah. is it, you know, is it is it is the child just like perfectly happy to follow along and be whatever character and do whatever story? And that's that's great. Are they choosing that or are they, are they, are they unable they to? 
Right. Yeah. I think like being a good observer, you can sometimes pick up on those kind of cues and offer children the opportunity to to make to make choices and to come up with their own ideas um, in other areas that are are maybe more individual or you know more kind of yeah that, that yeah that, and, and I mean the child who who is perfectly happy to go along with other people's choices and decisions and planning in in fantasy play might have big opinions about things in the art area. Right. Um, so it, it might be activity specific for some kids too. And, and if you step back and you observe and you notice that you, you're, you're like, okay, this kid is, is, is standing up for themselves and having opinions and making decisions in other parts of their life, but they, they like to be a follower here. And, and that's, that's cool. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, so they're, they're getting what they need. They're just getting it, getting it someplace else. But I think without really good observation, um, and, and again, I, I think, I think for me, one of the, the, I mean, I think we all need resilience because we all experience challenge and obstacles and adversity. But to me, one of the the wonderful things about looking at things through a resilience lens and through this lens of protective factors is it's kind of I mean, it's it's simple. It's you're not you're not trying to to go through seventy five thousand learning objectives and learning standards and all of the criteria of your on your developmental checklist and all of this stuff. It's kind of like you got these four things that you're kind of looking for, and in everything that you do, if you are paying attention to those four protective factors, I, I think it's going to help teachers start to connect dots between where a child's strengths are in this area and and maybe areas that they need um, need some more more attention and and that you can you can support them in that development if that makes sense yeah um is there uh, we can get into this in future because we're look listeners we're doing a series on this but this this is Stephanie is there an age at which we should start? worrying i mean i'm i'm you know what i mean yeah when when do we when do we worry when do we when do we think hey this kid isn't getting what they need here we need we we need we need intervention we need more support we need to do things different we need to intervene more um is there a time we should start worrying or i mean i don't i don't view it as i think we do worry i mean sure. i don't think we're, I think we're wired for it. We're, yeah. we're, I think I think we're wired for it. Um, but I mean, resilience probably begins to develop prenatally. Um, I think that that you know, focusing on the importance of relationships is what we've always done um, in early childhood, and I think it tends to get and that's an important protective factor for resilience. Um, I think self-regulation. I mean, I, I don't know any teacher who hasn't like, you know worried about self-regulation. I think understanding what's typical for a child and is important um, and understanding that a lot of these things develop over mm -hmm. time. I mean, executive functions don't come fully online until your mid to late twenties. So, you know, three years, forties or fifties for some of yeah, us. Bro, yeah. <laughs> or, or never. <laughs> um, but so a three-year-old isn't, isn't going to have all of the, you know, like inhibitor control. Um, but I think that, um, I mean, I, I think it really gets back to our relationship with children and under like putting that as our primary focus. And if you have relationships with children because you pay attention, because you listen to them, because it's a two-way conversation 
you're observing them in their world, which is their play, um, I think you begin to have a sense of is for this child, is this just an off day? Is this mm -hmm. a skill area they just haven't developed? Is it because they're three and not 15 yet? Um, or, or is there something that, that you can do just through your interactions? I mean, I don't think it's, it's like, I mean, the, the whole pyramid thing and we've got all these interventions and stuff. Honestly, the, the base of the pyramid is our, is our relationships with children. And the better we know Diego and know that he is, um, you know, he has rough days some days mm -hmm. and, you know, somebody, he may pick up the chair and throw it at somebody, but you know, that before that happens, Diego's going to start snapping out at not being able to be the policeman in that scenario. Yeah. And what can you do to, to support him during those? I mean, I think resilience, we think of like major trauma, blah, but it's, it's, you know, like, what about the, the child that doesn't, um, you know, that just these little things, I mean, we all know ourselves, you know, like somebody flip cuts you off in traffic and, Sometimes our resilience and our self-regulation goes right out the window. Sure. And sure, it's absolutely. wasn't a big deal. Like you're not dead. You didn't get a, even a car wreck. You just got pissed off at the car mm -hmm. that cut you off and think, I mean, I personally, you know, think it's a good reason to start swearing and, and flipping people off. And that's, that's not self-regulation. So I, I well, I mean, <laughs> If you're if you're only flipping them off and you're not rolling down your window to do it, that's a little bit of self-regulation, right? Mm -hmm. If you're choosing, if you're choosing, <laughs> no, it's not, Jeff. No, <laughs> I mean you 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 kept yourself from rolling. You you regulated yourself enough not to roll down the window and yell out loud. You just kind of flipped them off below your dashboard. I mean, that's well, a, or like by the window. There, there's a continuum there. <laughs> There is always a continuum, always about everything. There is a continuum, but for somebody who is, but you know, I mean, it's really not something that is worth losing self-regulation over sure. um, of any kind. Like why, why, if I was happily driving along, listening to music and suddenly like I become a raging, like chaotic mess and start flipping people off. Um, that's not as I would like to be regulated myself so i think i think the like recognizing that for children it can be small things that that we can be paying attention to as well as these big major major things and and helping everybody be more regulated in a way that they have agency over and so if we're if we're well into um uh our our late teens and early 20s before I mean, we can consider ourselves fully self-regulated. Um, maybe one of the things we should do in the early years is is worry less. I, I mean, as as a lifelong early educator, I would say that's what I did um, is worry worry less. Um, I, I mean, I think we tend to have there are lots of reasons. You've talked about a lot of them on your. On your uh, podcast before, we all know there are lots of things in the way that we do childcare, that we do school, that actually can run completely counter to child development. And I think understanding that who who a child is and and how hard it is for them to do a lot of the things that we expect them to do as part of a structured program um, is is um, probably the, the first thing, first place to start is just knowing 
what what is appropriate for young children and to give them the opportunities to do the things that are appropriate like play yeah <laughs> like having uh, using their imaginations and developing it naturally well we're 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 at 53 minutes now this has been a great episode stephanie time flies when i talk with you i'd love it any final thoughts on on resilience and fantasy play before you wrap this one up um, I think just that there is um, a lot of research that is uh, supports the idea. Um, there's some really interesting observation tools out there that have not gotten the research traction. I think that that they have. I don't know that we need them, but um, I would say that if if people are interested um, and want to know more, there's there's a lot more information out there um, that is worth looking at like all kinds of play i think make-believe or fantasy play tends to get the short end of the stick as far as research because it's quicksilver because how do you quantify how do you how do you how do you get research grants to like study children like pretending um to cook baby heads as meatballs you, you don't um and so i think um I, I just would hope teachers would recognize that it's such a such a important part of early childhood and it makes us the creative, imaginative, resilient people that we are. That sounds like a good place to wrap this up. So listeners, we'll be back and have these discussions about things that are going on in other parts of our programs with a with a focus on resilience. A couple of things before we we pull the plug. Um, yeah, look, I've been thinking about how to improve chocolate chip cookies, and I would like chocolate chip cookies with uh, with bacon in them. Um, so listeners, if you have a chocolate chip and bacon cookie recipe, 228-363-6737, you can leave me a voicemail or send a text message. Um, also over at uh, at Playhaven, we're having a lot of uh, fun discussions. The people that have shown up over there, that ex that's Explorations Early Learning slash Playhaven. There's a link in the show notes. It's just uh, an online, we're calling it a community of practice. And some, some of the things are going on. Listener Cl uh, Clivette, um, she's she's working with me. She's she's redoing her, um, re organizing her uh, craft area. And she's keeping track of some experiments she's doing there with more open-ended and child-led opportunities. And, and we're, we're keeping track of that at Playhaven. And she's going to help me write an article for the Playvolution HQ site. Um, uh, Heather was over there and she's moving to a different state. And Debbie is in that state, knows all about childcare in that state and was being supportive. So it's a chance to uh, connect with other early learning people if you're looking for those kind of connections away from the big social media platforms. And also, I'm, I'm going to start doing a new thing. We're going to start doing a monthly childcare Barn Girl Happy Hour, where um, anybody who wants to can show up here on the Zoom and we'll report record an episode um, that's going to be the fourth Tuesday of, of every month at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. Um, if you, um, get a, you got to register for the zoom get a hold of me. I'll try to put it in the show notes, but, uh, if you get a hold of me at playvolutionhq.com or explorationsearlylearning.com, I can get you on the mailing list and let you know when those are happening. And it should be fun. We've got the first one. I just announced it a couple of days ago and we've already got a handful of people and some interesting topics coming up. So it might be a, uh, yeah, and look, you don't have to have a cocktail in hand if you show up, but I mean, you're welcome to. Uh, Stephanie, you got anything you want to plug? Um, just, I have a, um, a, 
um, a newsletter that I have started to to write. Um, right now it's weekly. I'm not sure it's going to stay weekly, but we'll see. Um, but I, I take a different uh, variant of a fairy tale every every week and, and ta- hit one of the protective factors and with actual things that people can do in the classroom, whether it's music or movement or um, loose parts play or open-ended art stuff. And um, I'm having a great time doing it. And if people want to subscribe, they can uh, uh, subscribe via my website, which is imaginationonthemove.com. Boom. This has been the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast, the world's longest running and most prolific early learning podcast with the words bar and grill in the title. Back soon. Bye-bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.